Hey everybody, welcome to Trek Freaks, part of the Geek Freaks podcast family. This is the podcast where we talk about Star Trek starting from the original series and going all the way through the entire show. I am one of your hosts, my name is Kevin, and I am joined by my good friend John. Hi, hey yo. And today we are talking about the third episode of the original series, where no man has gone before. But fun fact, this was actually shot as the second pilot of the show, the one that was picked up after the cage failed. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and it's crazy. Yeah, it, it it's really weird how similar this episode is to the episode we talked about last time, Charlie X how they aired them right next to each other i wonder if that was uh if that was intentional yeah uh they, they like you said they have a lot of correlations and it's kind of odd that they would put them back to back but they like you said this was the first pilot so i wonder i think charlie x was recorded sometimes later right yeah it was recorded uh obviously afterward but they aired it one week prior uh, where no man has gone before was uh on the 22nd of September in 66 and the other one was on the was the 15th. So yeah, weird how they recorded them so far apart, but aired them right next to each other. And they're the similarities you'll, you'll see as we go along, how, how similar the two episodes are. The last similarity between the two though, and I don't know how I picked this up, but the run times on both episodes are 50 minutes and 32 seconds. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, when I was, uh, opening up because I, I watched these episodes a week apart from each other i opened up uh, paramount plus which is where we're watching all this and if you guys are watching along with us that's probably the best place because that's the version of the show we're watching um i saw the the runtime i'm like am i just misremembering something <laughs> the other one was almost exactly this long no it's the exact same length I wonder, I wonder if they had the same like commercial breaks, like maybe the same ads and everything that first, you know, few episodes or something like that. So it was, had to be cut to a certain exact time. Oh, that makes sense. They, like we were talking about before, they aired one week apart from each other. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay. Uh, so before we get into our recap and review, I got a quick question for you, Kevin. What's ba up? Based on your knowledge of the many species and cultures of Star Trek, if you could see a new series based on the home planet of one of these species, which one would it be? I know, tricky, huh? This, I come up with some hard questions. <laughs> no, I, I, I really like, this might be my favorite question so far. Um, I'd be really curious to hear what the audience has to say. You should uh, respond to this question on Twitter at Geek Freaks Podcast. But um, I, this might be kind of, it feels like a cop-out question because they're, or not a question, sorry. It seems like a cop-out answer because the, uh, the, the species that I'm going to talk about is relatively new in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. But the Kelpians. Oh, okay. The, from dis Discovery, we know that they're a pre-warp civilization at the beginning of Discovery. And uh, Saru is the, the one that got away because uh, Captain Georgiou basically saved him from what was uh, some kind of evolutionary thing that usually kills them, but it's completely curable or something. I, I don't remember the exact, uh, exactly what happens with them, but they're a pre-warp civilization. And uh, obviously when discovery goes into the future, they're part of the Federation. So I, I want to see what happens in between <laughs> those uh, two. Yeah. And maybe discovery is going to get into that later. I, with Saru not being the captain of discovery anymore, but that would be my answer. 
Yeah, that would be pretty fascinating to see. I mean, we know a species before and after they're members of the Federation, so to see their evolution into it would be pretty cool. Also, on, on that note, the Bajorans would be a great one because they're not part of the Federation at all during Deep Space Nine. And I thought that was that would be another way to track that. That's, that'd be a great one. Yeah, that's true. And we do get to see a lot about them from Deep Space Nine, right? But not yes. nothing based. I mean, it's hardly any of it's actually on their home planet. It's almost all on the space station. Yeah, DS9 is actually at the beginning of the show. It's orbiting Bajor. Yeah. So my vote would be for Ferenginar. I love the Ferengi. I love to learn about them. I want to see what their culture is like on their home planet. Because we see traders, we see people out there wheeling and dealing all the time. But like, what does their well, barbershop look like or something like that? Like, what's their regular day-to-day life of people that aren't out doing business? There's got to be some Ferengi that aren't businessmen, right? So what do their general laborers look like or how do they communicate with each other and stuff? That'd be kind of cool. And I would like to get a book of the rules of acquisition at some point. <laughs> that would be great. It's in my Amazon are, shopping cart. <laughs> there are a few episodes of, of DS9 that take place on Ferenginar, but they don't really get into the nitty gritty of what you're talking about. So, yeah, that would be that would be a very fun yeah. series to watch. And with modern uh, CGI and stuff like that, I'm pretty sure they can make the Frangie look a little cleaner and you know a little more variety between their characteristics that's notable. And I think it'd be, I think it'd be done a little bit better. Yeah, kind of how they they did with Klingons. Yes, definitely. But but not quite, maybe hopefully not as drastic. (laughs) Yes. Let's see. So this episode is Where No Man Has Gone Before. Uh, We start with uh, what I noted as pretty much a message in a bottle, right? Uh, Enterprise finds an old ship recorder uh, from the Valiant. This is uh, the Valiant by... Analyzing the ship recorder, they realized that the Valiant went through a magnetic storm that killed several crewmen. Uh, one survivor developed ESP, extrasensory perception, uh, and then the captain ended up uh, ordering the ship to self-destruct. So they're like, "Whoa, that's kind of that's kind of a jump jump from one to the other, right?" Yeah, that was going from a, a distress signal to yeah, I'm just gonna blow the fucker up. <laughs> quite a quite a change, yeah. So right away, they're like, what could have happened on that ship that from, you know, their, their ship was still intact. Some crew had died. What could have possibly taken place that would make the captain uh, self-destruct? That's just insane. But we will find out. Uh, so then we get into some rough seas. The, the, the Enterprise pushes beyond the galactic barrier, which I previously didn't think was possible. I'm pretty sure from other Star Treks too, I think they mentioned that you can't go past, and I'm, I don't know about the science, but I believe it's because there's no subspace outside of the galaxy. So you would have to find a way to go from one galaxy to the next at probably just impulse speed. You wouldn't be able to warp travel, but that's all my rough estimations. I'm not sure about that. So normally when there's a, a discrepancy between what happens in an episode here and what we know from later trek i always look to you to try to <laughs> try to put the the science behind canon it. term behind yeah the, what actually happened yeah and for me it's like well they just hadn't established that yet but yeah so i wonder in, what uh, in one of the uh later star trek books one of my just listened to the audiobook was really cool there's alien species that's able to move stars and when they move a star out uh beyond the galaxy they they use these stars as like a bridge. So I'm assuming maybe the stars uh, affect your ability to warp. Maybe subspace is created because of presence of a star. I don't know. 
Uh, but they make a bridge of stars to be able to go from one galaxy to the next. Um, but yeah, because especially because of that, I was like, oh yeah, there's there's a issue with that. You can't break the galactic barrier. You won't be able to travel very fast at all. But regardless, in this episode, they do. They get through it, but as soon as they do, they enter this magnetic storm, just like the Valiant uh, recorder had explained. Uh, the ship is severely damaged. Pretty good uh, fireworks, by the way. Uh, and the warp engines end up offline. Uh, they say that the uh, the power is out, and I think Spock says that nine crew members died during that. But we see a couple of the crew on the bridge get zapped, and they fall over. Yeah, we see uh, Gary. Uh, I don't remember his last name. Gary and Doctor Dana uh, both both got zapped. Gary right away has like silver eyes. Uh, Doctor Dana ends up being just fine right afterwards, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then after this, uh, we see Gary in sick bay. Right, Gary's recovering well. Uh, his vitals are perfect. The doctor actually even says they're a little bit too too perfect. Uh, his eyes are still silver, uh, which is kind of creepy looking. Um, and he seems to be able to read at an incredible rate. He, he's actually has the view screen and it's just clicking, clicking, clicking. He can take in an entire page of data without even glancing at it. Um, and he can also regulate his vitals. He demonstrates to the doctor shortly after that, that, uh, he can increase and decrease his, you know, heart rate, blood pressure and all that stuff. He really tests it by dropping them all and killing himself for 22 seconds. He's dead. And then she rushes over like, what's going on? You know, you, you gotta stop doing this. And he comes back to life and. To him, it was kind of a game because he feels so powerful. Yeah, I, that's exactly it. Is the power that he already has at this point is like a game to him. He can sense uh, he can sense Kirk and Spock watching him on the monitor as he's reading extraordinarily fast. He uh, changes his own pulse and heart rate and all that to kill himself for twenty two seconds. And uh, so then we see. Uh, Kirk, Captain Kirk goes in there and talks to him uh, at one point and they reminisce a little bit about the, the glory days back at the academy uh, when when Gary was there, Captain Kirk was a professor and he mentions that he had to aim this little blonde lab technician at him. He pretty much, Gary distracted Kirk with this cute young girl that he would, you know, say go talk to him or whatever and I guess that was the only way he was able to pass his class that that semester or something like that and Kirk Kirk was like what that was you he's like I almost married that girl <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny that was good good, yeah, uh, good banter yeah, it's a good way to develop the character of uh, Gary I think Mitchell Gary Mitchell yeah uh, that's right and their relationship <laughs> from the from the past going into this episode as we said this episode was shot as the the second pilot so we have no bearing on who these characters are so a little bit of that backstory is nice yeah uh, so Dr. Dana uh, tests Gary's abilities a little bit, um, like by having him recite something he read. Uh, and he was able to identify a defective part in the ship without ever leaving sickbay. He tells one of the crewmen, hey, go check that one thing. And he checks it and he's like, oh, yeah, that would have taken us down for sure. Uh, so that's pretty impressive. He's just we're seeing the the reach of his abilities already. Uh, then we see a meeting. Uh, they don't I don't know where this is at. I'm assuming it's like the ready room. Uh, or something like that. But the, the senior staff get together to talk about Gary's abilities. Uh, Dr. Data tries to defend him right away. Uh, they determine that at his rate of development, he will be like very dangerous very soon. So they need to make a decision on how they're going to approach this. Um, after that, they decide, they, they talk about um, this planet Delta Vega. And it's a completely automated planet. It produces energy and their warp drive is still offline. So they are going to go down to this planet, 
uh, harvest fuel cells, I believe it was, to be able to power their ship or re-energize their, their warp engines. And in the process, leave Gary here. It's either leave him behind on a planet where he'll be alone and can be as powerful as he wants, or they have to kill him before he gets too powerful. What do you think yeah, about this all that? <laughs> this shows uh, Spock's logic in, I, I think, in its best form. Like, just pure raw, this is what we do. We leave him, or if you don't want to do that, Captain, we have to kill him. It's, those are the only two things to do with him because he's becoming exponentially more powerful He's toying with the crew. Mm -hmm. um, what is he going to do in, you know, three hours from now when the, or however long it takes to repair the warp core or the warp engine? And what, what, what's his powers going to be like then? And how is he going to entertain himself with those powers at the expense of the crew? Yeah. Like we already know we can't contain him. If we wanted to control him, that's, that's already at his limited abilities. We can't do that. And he is growing exponentially. So it's just a matter of time before. Oh, actually, uh, what was it? Um, Commander Sulu mentioned that he's, his abilities are developing geome geometrically, I think, is what he said. And I thought that was kind of funny because I've never heard that term used before. I've heard of exponentially, like to a certain power, so it multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. So, But he uses use the geometrically and he says, it's like a penny. Uh, if you double it, you know, and double it and double it after... Uh, so many hours or whatever, you'll be a billionaire. So I thought that was kind of uh, funny terminology that I hadn't it, heard before. I didn't even notice that that's what he said because I, as I was reading, or as I was watching that, I wrote exponentially just expecting that that was what he said. So that was a good pickup there. I didn't, <laughs> yeah. I didn't catch it. I think in the future, geometry comes a long way. <laughs> <laughs> it must, yeah. <laughs> I like it. Um, let's see. So at Sick Bay, Kirk. Um, sees Gary using telekinesis. He's moving a cup. Uh, Gary talks about how free and powerful he feels. Uh, once he feels threatened, though, he uses his powers to stun Kirk and Spock. He kind of does like a, a taser zap on them, uh, much like what's his name uh, from Star Wars. It's a terrible, terrible to compare Star Trek and Star Wars. It, like the Emperor? Emperor, there you go. Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> I'm like, who yeah. has the electric, electric zap? Um, so yeah. I, I referred I referred to that ability simply as force lightning. So there you go. It's okay, I think, to compare Star Trek to Star Wars. Yeah, or we can go with Avatar. But you know, either way, a lot of people got light lightning. Um, so yeah, he stuns Kirk and Spock with his little force lightning taser ability. Um, he knows their plan, and then luckily, after a little tussle, they're able to give him a sedative. So, with that sedative, they calm him down. They actually had to give him a second dose at the transporter room, and they beam him down to the planet. Yeah, so, a little bit to unpack here. Mm -hmm. um, we find out that Mitchell has the ability to read minds, because mm -hmm. he, he can sense that Kirk is worried about the crew, and he knows of Spock's plan, and he actually suggests Spock's plan to, to kill him yeah. before, they, before he ends up using his force lightning, for the lack of a better phrase. Yeah. Um, also, I was surprised that Kirk and Spock were able to surprise Mitchell and knock him down. Yeah, I, I was too. It didn't seem like that was prepared well enough. Uh, if there was something like, like later they kind of uh, proposed, hey, this might make him weak. And then sure enough, it does. It, it seems like they should have had something like that here too. A little, you know, if we catch him off guard, you know, we should be able to inject the stuff in him. 
But just the fact that they can catch him off guard when he's already able to... He did mention he can't necessarily read their... Or he implied he can't necessarily read their thoughts, but he can sense how they feel at this point, uh, like empathy. But um, then he he explains Doc's, uh, Spock's idea of killing him before he gets too powerful. So it's not very clear, but you're right. He It's surprising that they were able to just kind of bum rush him and, and inject him with that before he was able to stop them. Yeah, I, this is where a lot of the, the comparisons to Charlie X pop in because at the end of that episode, they were able to distract Charlie by flipping on all the switches and activating all the consoles to make Charlie try to control them so that they could physically take him down. Yeah, um, true. And this episode with Mitchell, it's it's earlier in the episode while he's still gaining his abilities that they were somehow able to surprise him. I think it's just going to be chalked up to a lack of his ability it's it's not what it's not at its full potential yet yeah and we do see that later with uh with dana but we'll with dr dana but we'll get to that point um let's see oh so next we're on the planet right uh he wakes up in a force field uh, in a in a cell um after fighting with the force field he seems drained of all his energy falls back against the wall and we see his eyes revert back to normal just for a moment uh, and he, I think he calls out to Jim instead of calling him James, like he does when he's all powerful, he calls for Jim. Uh, but then his eyes go back. He's, you know, back to being all powerful again. Uh, he actually is growing more and more powerful. Even, even in his prison cell, we see he's able to, uh, strangle another crewman, the crewman who was supposed to be watching their, their self-destruct button to blow the place up if this guy got too powerful. Um, and then he, he's able to, I'm sorry, I'm going through a lot at once. But he's uh, from the scene. He's able to um, stun Kirk and Spock, remove the force field now that he's just so quickly growing so much more powerful. And he takes Dana into his cell to look in the mirror and see that her eyes are turning silver as well. When uh, be- before he breaks out of the the cell, there is a a part when Scotty asks Kirk if they received the the phaser rifle that they sent. Did you see this phaser rifle? Oh, yeah. This thing is hideous, dude. <laughs> yeah. That is like, I mean, it's like a big toy. It, it's a funny looking big, like, laser toy. It wouldn't even, yeah, I, a super soaker looks more realistic than that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. It's It looked like a big toy, which is crazy because the, the phaser, the little, the handheld phasers that they use in this, they're obviously old and outdated, but they look good for props on a set yeah uh that phaser rifle man that looked like it was like a sewing machine tied to (laughs) a water gun it was it wasn't the greatest yeah okay so we also see here that um they are making a backup plan right they're they're making sure that they have a self-destruct for that facility uh so if something happens they have a crewman standing there next to a button he can hit it and it will just destroy that whole valley i think is what he said uh, which is, you know, good. They don't want this guy to leave the planet, destroy the ship, or get to Earth where he'd be all powerful and or another planet, uh, kill everybody if he wanted to. Um, so they develop a self destruct button. We see Gary is growing his his powers at an exponential rate again. It's just uh, so fast that even within this cell, he's able to use his telekinesis through the walls into a different room and is able to strangle the crewman uh, with a cable. Uh, strangle the crewman that is standing by the self-destruct button. So that's no longer an issue for him anymore. 
uh, he, then he's able to stun Kirk and Spock again from beyond his force field within the cell. He's able to, to force lightning them again. Uh, and then he waves away the force field that was holding him in that earlier, just minutes ago, shocked him real bad and made him lose his, his control for a minute. Uh, he just waves his hand and all of a sudden it's down. Uh, and after that, we see he brings Dana into the cell just to look in the mirror for a second and see that her eyes are turning silver as well. We remember they both got shocked during that, that uh, magnetic storm. Uh, so the effects seem to have just taken longer uh, to affect her. I think the, the people that were all shocked at the beginning of the episode were all people that had some kind of uh, inclination of showing signs of ESP at, mm. to some extent or another. You're right. Yeah. It was that Mitchell was the, the most adept with it, I believe. Yeah. I think, but, you're, I think you're right. Uh, the doctor uh, had been studying ESP throughout her career and she was also uh, had a little bit of adeptness toward it. So that's how uh, she was turning. That's why she was turning into the same, whatever evolution that uh that mitchell was turning into as well just at a slower pace because her level of esp is not as high as his was mm -hmm. yeah so uh after this we see the two of them leave the facility right they kind of go off onto the planet um and they're it sounds like they're talking about okay maybe we can make this planet work for us uh she's skeptical because she's like how are we ever going to live here but he shows his abilities again just evolving so fast He's able to create not only plant life, but like running water and, and vegetation, like make a, a living uh, planet uh, just, with, just with a gesture. Uh, and he was able to turn a rocky, desolate world into a rocky, desolate world with a garden. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> I, like I like it. Yeah, true. Uh, but then after that, we see Kirk is trying to hunt them down. He's got his super, super soaker phaser with him. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's climbing on rocks and trying to find them. Um, but yeah, like that was pretty, a good way to put it. He, the plants that he was able to conjure, it's still in like a desert wasteland. It's just, uh, a desert wasteland with some plants. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was just his way of showing, Hey Elizabeth, we can, we can live here. This is, this is how it can end up going. Yeah. And just going to totally avoid talking about the, the set that was probably reused from a past shot <laughs> or from a prior episode. And he does create a tree that has a certain fruit that they like or whatever that he appreciated one time and they start eating it together. But that makes me think again with his evolution at the rate it is, I know they're not complete and especially she's far behind from him. I'm pretty sure at a certain point they're not going to need to eat uh, at all. Like with the way they're evolving. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I, their plan is to live there, or at least Mitchell's plan is for uh, for Gary and Elizabeth to live there as gods. But as we've come to see what Kirk realizes is that they're gods with human, still at, like godlike humans, I suppose, yeah. with all the downside of being a human. Mm -hmm. So maybe they, I, I mean, they'd still probably get hungry, potentially. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, at least he can create an endless source of food. I wonder too, I mean, I, I guess it doesn't matter. We don't need to, to analyze his abilities too extremely, but if they do live there by themselves, what is his energy source? Does he 
eventually like how he got stunned and kind of lost his abilities for a little while you know what would it take to keep that maintained or will he eventually grow weak and not have it if you can create your own food sure you can survive but the energy you expend to create food you would think it takes the same amount of energy to you know it'd be complicated yeah also how or how would they deal with other people that go to that planet for supplies or fuel or whatever Mm because like you said it's an automated planet nobody lives there but how would they interact with them or would they just treat them like they're treating the enterprise crew because they i think mitchell says uh he sees how unimportant they really are yeah i can imagine once he's all powerful once he's fully evolved he well if he keeps the human mentality with the evolutionary power i imagine he would take people as slaves and like for entertainment yeah that's <laughs> it's like a human scary but true <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly now if he evolves mentally as well then you know he'd be a omnipotent being that just wants to you know do good in the world i imagine to some extent but or bring balance a lot of a lot of charlie x in this as well yeah because he's he's still got all the flaws of a human but he's got the powers of something else and the way he's able to manipulate this planet actually reminds me of uh guardians of the galaxy i don't know why i didn't think about that before um i didn't tie that together either yeah the guy's you know the i can't remember his name but the guy that's a god of his own planet and was it ego ego that's it you got it yeah that's kind of a interesting connection there yeah um okay so after that we we pretty much get into a battle between uh kirk and and gary uh he fires on gary but it does nothing it just bounces right off him so gary's evolved to where he's pretty much impervious um gary plans to kill kirk and shows him his grave did you notice though his grave his his headstone read James R Kirk, not James T Kirk? Yeah, I did notice that. And a <laughs> lot of I I think this is one of those things that's on the internet. Oh, the ten things you'd never realize about Star Trek: The Original Series. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a common one, and I I think this might just be headcanon, and I'm a fan of headcanon. But I think what they're trying to say is that obviously they hadn't picked his middle name being Tiberius yet. Mm-hmm. he's not james t kirk yet but in canon we're going with that he's that mitchell is just so evolved he stops caring so much about kirk that he forgot his middle name mm, i could see that <laughs> i i like that version of like events that. yeah it's like whatever your middle name is i'm just gonna throw in an r because i don't don't know don't care kind of thing right yeah i got you uh, so Kirk is able to convince Dr. Dana that Gary is wrong. She's still not quite fully to his level of evolution. Uh, and she can see that he's, you know, mad with power and is just not really going to go any positive way. Uh, so she zaps him. Then they zap each other back and forth with their abilities. And it actually drains Gary of his power enough that Kirk is able to fight him hand to hand. As they're fighting, Gary's able to start regaining some of his power um and kirk is able to get him into the grave they they tussle until he ends up in that grave and kirk shoots the boulder that was hanging above the grave and it falls on top and presumably kills him so that's where i'm kind of left at a big question mark is if a phaser set to vaporize on his chest doesn't kill him would dropping a rock on him kill him 
at this point, I think he still needs oxygen to stay alive. And I, I just took that as in Kirk buries Mitchell alive. Mm, okay. that, that's how I wrote it down. I'm, it could be a combination of both or we're just not supposed to care enough to ask questions. <laughs> I think it's that one too. <laughs> like supposed, yeah, to, Kirk, supposed to just believe. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Kirk keeps on saying throughout that fight that above all, above all else, a God needs compassion, mm-hmm. which I don't know how we could get into that topic or <laughs> Star Trek gets in that topic a lot later on as well. So we'll probably talk about it again. Yeah. But I think personally i think that the the a god needs compassion is more of a human trait the human god and that's probably part of what mitchell is like going away from yeah so it makes sense that he doesn't have that compassion because he's losing his human his humanity i guess as he's evolving yeah i could see that so also oh good how much how much of that scene with uh at when Kirk is down on the ground and Doctor, when Elizabeth and Gary are shooting lightning at each other, how much of that was the end of Return of the Jedi to you, or I, how much was Return of the Jedi based on this episode? Do you think? Yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, it'd <laughs> be pretty funny to play those side by side for sure. Yeah, I know we're gonna try to stop making the the Star Wars references, but that one was just so blatant. Yeah, I, and then it's like. Op- this is so old, we could easily argue that Star Wars has been stealing from Star Trek for years. Right, exactly. <laughs> so it appears that Dr. Dana actually dies, Elizabeth. Uh, she's at least at a weakened state, and Kirk leaves her behind, so I think we have to assume that she died from that little lightning battle she had with uh, Gary. Yeah, she, she apologizes to Kirk before she dies, but... Uh, it's, I think he was. she was trying to... She was the middle ground, I think, in that final scene between Kirk and Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's one point when Mitchell says that Mitchell says that morals are for men, not gods. And Kirk says that he is a god driven by human frailty. Mm-hmm. So Kirk believes this whole time that the evolution that these two people are going through is actually going to make them the gods that Mitchell thinks it's going it's going to be for them. Mm-hmm. They're actually just going to be humans with all the human uh frailty that co- comes along with it still having to eat and still basically being a human. And I forgot where I was going with that, but I wanted to bring it up. Yeah, I see what you mean too. And and like we were saying earlier, they they can have the power of a god without having the intellectual capacity of a god. So they don't have that compassion or that ability to see the big picture of the cosmos when, you know, they just want to be a puppet master, manipulate their little corner and, and take all they can for themselves. Could not have phrased that as well as you did. That's perfect. Nice. I guess I get, I get good words every once in a while. <laughs> no, uh, so I will spit my water out. When you said that. <laughs> I get the words, right? Uh, so, okay. So the closing scene we see, um, the crew on the bridge and the captain sets the record straight he pretty much explains that both these crewmen uh he wants them to be honored and and wants the record to show that they died in the line of duty and not necessarily note any of this you know extreme powers and hostilities and trying to kill each other and stuff like that um so after all they didn't ask for this corrupting power 
So I thought that was kind of cool, except for the other crewman that Mitchell did kill. What's his record going to show? Because that's kind of messed up. <laughs> <laughs> I killed in an accident that affected the warp core. I don't I, I don't that's, know. That's true. It was an accident that, that gave Mitchell the powers that led him to kill the other crewman. So I guess it's it's all the same. Same cause. I did really like at the end of this that Spock actually says that he felt for for Mitchell and for for Elizabeth. And Kirk says, there's hope for you yet. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, that, that little, little friendly rivalry coming back, you know, yeah. <laughs> perfect sure. Kirk and Spock banter. Yeah. And I know we'll see a lot of that. They're they're dynamic together, them and, and Bones. Uh, I think that's kind of what carries the whole series, really. Yeah, the side characters are great, but the entirety of the show is basically the the rapport between those three. Yeah. Yeah, so I like it. I think this was a lot better episode than than Charlie X, even though they had a lot in common. Um, this this was a I think a better written story. Yeah, uh, going from uh, it, there's a phrase that people say that it's lonely at the top, and I think that's what they were trying to get across with Charlie X. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one is more about abuse of power and how absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, and that's a line that they even say in the episode. Okay. So, um, so speaking a of... A god with the feelings of man is no god at all, essentially. Okay. So so at that note, what is your moral or message in the story? I think I actually said it without it being said as the moral. But yeah, I think the, the actual moral of, this, of the episode is it's said aloud by Kirk. It's that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that a god who's... A, a, a man who finds himself as a god is no god at all, just a... Man, it's doomed, essentially. Mm, okay, I like it. Uh, mine's, mine's pretty much the same thing, too. Uh, power unchecked will always corrupt. Nice. Yeah. Because you can have some power. You can have a lot of power, but there needs to be control and checks and balance and not, you know, uh, at least for man, uh, unchecked power will always corrupt. Yeah, somebody who's got all that power but is still a man or still a human at the end of the day is going to have all the failings, all the, the, the potential for corruption, you know, being able to live for themselves and look at everybody else as toys or as objects or as just things that are a nuisance. And yeah, <laughs> I agree. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to note about this episode? Yeah, I overall, it was it, like you said, it was, it was a lot better than Charlie X. It was a lot better written. The moral was pretty similar. Um, yeah, the the clothes in this episode, you could tell that it was shot earlier because they're wearing the same clothes that uh, Captain Pike and Spock were wearing in the cage. Mm-hmm. The, the uniforms are different. Yeah. I, I know they, they trade uniforms or they change uniforms throughout the show a lot. And they've got a lot of different looks, but. And we might have yeah, mentioned I, on this episode, maybe it was in the last, that uh, Bones wasn't in this episode. And I'm not sure if, if there's other ones in season one that he wasn't in because, you know, they were early on in casting and stuff. But like we said, this was the, the second pilot, right? So I think they just hadn't really pulled together the whole team yet. Yeah, I think this is, was this the first episode that Scotty was in? Uh, or the only episode thus far that Scotty was in? I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, that, it's weird i never realized how infrequently all the side characters were used because i kind of just take for granted that you know you've got sulu bones and scotty all and uhura all there 
And I guess they're not always there like I thought they were. Yeah. Yeah, not like the later series where every episode kind of touches on almost every crewman, right? Of the main characters. Yeah, it's very rare for unless it's a, a story that takes place elsewhere, it's very rare for not for to have to not have all of the characters on the episode at least once. Yeah. Um, I do like how it kind of obviously develops Kirk more in this episode, um, but it demonstrates his value of the lives of his crew uh, by pretty much risking risking his life and a few other lives to maybe save the ship. Uh, and, and to blow up that entire canyon yeah <laughs> potentially right. and lord knows i mean who's whose space station or whose uh planet was that i'm sure that's generating fuel for some i don't know some other race or something like that that may be part of the federation so that could be a whole diplomatic mess if you blow that place up you know i'm gonna go back to the question you asked at the beginning of the episode uh-huh. or at the beginning of this recording i want to know that planet's history okay <laughs> i want to i want it, like a mini series to take place on that planet that says why those facilities are there, who built them, and why they why they stay up with nobody running it. Yeah. I, I want to know. I got to know. They're fully automated, but it's not like, like we see in Picard, they have uh, factories that are all ran by droids at some point, uh, but this is way before that, and we know their technology is, hasn't developed into androids yet. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, I think it's a yeah, fuel station, right? They make energy cells or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I wonder what else they do if it's if the entirety of the planet is automated. I wonder what else they do. I mean, having a whole planet dedicated to building one component or to powering one thing kind of seems like a waste of ninety five percent of the planet. That's true. And yeah, why would it not be populated? Is there? I mean, there's obviously an M class atmosphere because they walk around the surface of the planet. So I wonder if there's a reason why it's just machines and they come and you know pick up loads but don't have anybody stay there i think we need to write the story of this planet mm, we do we got to name this planet first right did it have a name i don't remember uh uh yeah uh it's <laughs> it's it's here uh delta vega oh that's right that's right okay i couldn't find it but yeah I, i'm pretty sure it was delta vega i'll have to write the backstory to delta vega what do you guys think of the backstory of the planet is? You should let us know. Uh, write us a line on on Twitter at Geek Freaks Podcast. Uh, you can check us out on all of our other socials, Instagram, uh, the website, geekfreakspodcast.com. Is that right? Yeah, uh, thegeekfreakspodcast.com. Uh, all of the, the written articles and everything go on thegeekfreakspodcast.com. You should check that out. I know E3 is over, but if you, uh, you gaming nerds are into that kind of stuff, but like I am. Uh, Frank's been on top of E3 coverage, and if you missed anything, you can check it all out there. Uh, if you guys have any comments or questions, send them in. If you have a question for us to read on the air, uh, that'd be great. Um, and if not, just join us next week as we review Season 1, Episode 4, The Naked Time. All right, until next time, away team to transport a room, two to beam out. <laughs>